Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. These people around him have no clue who they're standing by. And Jesus, John gives the invitation and Jesus begins making his way down into the water. And everybody on the shore has no idea who this guy is, but John knows exactly who he is. And John's preaching a message and a baptism of repentance. And here comes the spotless lamb coming down from the shore into the waters to be baptized by John. John looks at him and he says, Jesus, why are you coming into the water? You don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus looks at him and he says, John, permit it to be so, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Which that statement alone is packed full, packed full. And I don't think we're going to have time to get to it. Maybe we will. I don't know. But uh, we may not have time to get to it in this, this morning. But he, he convinces John to go ahead and baptize him. And so John submits to Jesus, probably a good idea, submits to Jesus. John takes him, puts him under the water and pulls him back up out of the water. Immediately it says that the sky split apart and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. It says it descended upon him like a dove and rested upon him. And then a voice came from the sky that said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is the initiation of Jesus's public ministry. This is the initiation. You know, when you, let's go back to school for a minute. I know that's no fun, but let's go back to school just for a moment. Back to English class, writing class. When you're writing an essay, one of the first things your teacher teaches you is to write a thesis statement, right? What's a thesis statement? Any other English buffs in here or remember? A thesis statement is when you write out the intent of your entire essay. What is the purpose? You're telling the reader the purpose of what's coming next, what they're about to read in the following words and pages and paragraphs to come. It's the same way in public speaking. In public speaking, they tell you to come up with a thesis statement. And if I was a good preacher, I could tell you what the thesis statement for this morning is, but I'm not, I, I, don't, I didn't come up with one. It's, it's Jesus is awesome. And that's, all, that's, that's my thesis statement this morning. But they tell you to come up with a thesis statement. If you could boil your entire message down into one sentence, it would be your thesis statement. And it would tell everybody listening what the rest of what you're about to say, what it's about, the purpose of it. This baptism is Jesus' thesis statement to the people of Israel. That Jesus came to fulfill and to accomplish something. And through this act of baptism in the baptismal waters of John, Jesus is declaring what he has come to do on the earth. Amen? He is declaring what he has come to do on the earth. What has he come to do? What is Jesus declaring? Colossians 2. If you have your Bibles, Colossians 2, starting in verse 9. It says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. 
in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Here we go. You ready? Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out all the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is what Jesus is announcing in the baptismal waters of John. Baptism is not a ritual. It is not what you do after you perform a prayer. And it is surely, it is certainly not what you do to become a member of a church. Baptism is and always will be an immersion into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism, let me say it again. Baptism is and always will be an immersion into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So listen, Jesus did not die in our place. He actually took us with him. He did not die on the cross, so we did not have to die. He died on the cross with us. He took us with him. Let me show you what I mean if you don't believe me. Colossians 3 verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 2 Timothy 2.11, for if I died with him, we shall also live with him. Romans 6, chapter, 6 verse 2, how shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In Romans 6 alone, in chapter 6 alone, it tells us eight times that you died with Christ. He did not die for you. He died with you. He went to the cross to take you with him. He died with you. Amen. The old man is dead. Not only did we die with him as Colossians 2.12, we've already read it, has already pointed out to us, we were also buried with him. So not only did we die with him, we were also buried with him. Isn't the gospel awesome? The old man is dead and he is buried. But the glory of Easter, I could spend a lot of time just on that idea and we have in past messages, but for time's sake today, just know you have died with Christ and you were buried with him. But the glory of Easter is not that he died. Come on. The glory of Easter is not that he was died and was buried. The glory of Easter is that death could not hold him. The glory of Easter is not that he just went to the cross. The glory of Easter is that he went to the cross and held through everything they could at him. The Romans did everything they could to make sure that the man Jesus was dead. They buried him in a tomb. They rolled the stone over the tomb, but it still says that he led captivity 
captive. And he came out of the grave saying, where, O death, is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Death and hell could not keep him dead. And that is the glory of Easter. But here is the other glorious part of Easter. That if we, were, if we died with him on the cross and we were buried with him in the tomb, what's the next step? His resurrection is your resurrection. Come on, last week we celebrated Easter. We celebrated Christ's resurrection. But listen, we didn't just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrated your resurrection as well. That if we who have died with Christ were buried with him, we are also raised with him to newness of life. The glory of Easter is that the old man is dead. Not just that the old man is dead, but that there is a new man that is born. This, the gospel message the gospel message is that there is a funeral and that there is a birth at salvation. Simultaneously, there is a funeral and there is a birth. The old man dies. The man who was unfulfilled. The man who was a slave to sin. That when sin called, you answered every single time. And you walked shameful. And you walked in guilt. And you walked in condemnation. The man who could not find fulfillment. That man gets dead and is buried. The man who identified with Adam, his father. That man dies. How does God deal with sin? He kills the man of sin. He kills the man of sin, and then he buries it. The glory of Easter, though, is that it doesn't, that, that, that old man stays buried, but there is a new man who is then birthed. There is a new man who is birthed. Romans 6 tells us it best. Let me read it to you. Romans 6, chapter or chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, if we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is what salvation looks like. It's not just a prayer and a church service. Salvation is a funeral and a birth. It is death to an empty, powerless man and the birth of a full and powerful, power-filled man. Jesus inaugurated his ministry with a prophetic picture of what he came to do, which was to kill the old man, put him under the water, bury him in baptism, but then raise him to newness of life. Amen? What happened next after Jesus came out of the water? The Bible tells us that when Jesus came out of the water, when he goes through the immersion of baptism, which again is the immersion into the cross, to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When he comes out of the water, the first thing that happens is it says that the skies split open and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and rests upon Jesus. I want to tell you that this is a picture of what happens to us when we walk through the immersion of the cross and baptism. 
that the skies are opened, that the Holy Spirit descends upon us and rests upon us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. When you go through the baptism of the cross, the first thing you receive on the other side is the guarantee of your inheritance as sons and daughters. The helper, the great comforter, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. When you come into salvation, when you embrace what Jesus did for you on the cross, it says that the guarantee of your inheritance is given to you. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. So just as when Jesus came out of the waters, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. When you go through salvation, when you come to the knowledge and accept the gift of salvation in Jesus, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to reside on the inside of you. It says that he is the guarantee of your inheritance in the saints. It is a sign that you have passed from death to life and you are a son and co-heir with Christ himself. The Holy Spirit is given to you. Some of you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you and maybe don't even realize it or access that gift. But when you came to know Jesus, when you accepted the gift of salvation, when you became a new man, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came not to just be around you, but to live on the inside of you. That just as Jesus walked the earth filled with the Holy Spirit, that you are given that same opportunity and gift to walk as Jesus walked with the Holy Spirit communing with you on the inside. Amen? Amen. So the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove and rested upon him. And just like that, when we come into salvation, when we go through the baptism of the cross, the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us. Amen? Come on, that's good news. That's better news than what I'm preaching it. Trust me, it's incredible. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The next thing that happened in our story with Jesus the Holy Spirit comes and descends. And this is probably my favorite part. It says that a voice came from heaven. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, the New Testament records three times the, the it records three times the father audibly speaking to where other people could hear. Three different times it records in the New Testament. Two out of those three times is just the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That the most important thing about Jesus that the Father wanted to communicate was not, this is my sinless, perfect Son. He didn't say that. He didn't comment on, 
the fact that Jesus hasn't sinned. And he didn't say, hey, everybody, listen up. If you need healing, this is the guy you need to see. No, when God spoke from heaven, the most important thing, the thing he wanted to communicate more than anything else to everybody was that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And notice too here at the baptism of Jesus that this is the first time that, again, it's an inauguration of Jesus' ministry. So this is before Jesus performed any miracle. This is before Jesus preached any sermon. This is before he did anything on earth and in ministry form. And God opens up the heavens before he does anything and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before he did one single thing. This was the most important thing to the father. I want to tell you this morning that as we go through the baptism of the cross, and we step into salvation, the most important thing, and I would even argue to say this, the whole reason and purpose Jesus went to the cross, obviously he forgave you of our sins, obviously he wiped the slate clean, he did all those things, but I wanna argue that the most important thing and the thing Jesus did, uh, wanted to accomplish on the cross was not just to forgive you of your sins, but for you to be able to hear that you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That the most important thing to the father about you is not the good that you do and the actions you perform. It's not that you walk a perfect sinless life. It's not the right, that you do the right things. The thing the father wants you to hear more than anything else is that no matter what happens, no matter what you do, no matter how good you are and no matter how bad you mess up, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The primary thing Jesus did on the cross was not just to forgive us of our sins and was definitely not just to get us into heaven. The primary thing Jesus did on the cross was restore your identity as a son and a daughter of God. That when he created you, he created you. And what does he say? He said, this, that he said, this creation is good. And he says that he created you in the very image and likeness of the Father that you were first and foremost created to look like your father God. And if I had time, we could go through Romans 5 and see how through Adam's failure, we took on a new nature. That Adam's sin, Adam's failure affected like a disease all of humanity. But Romans 5 also tells us that just as Adam's sin affected all of humanity, how much more through one man's disobedience, how much more will one man's obedience bring salvation and grace and righteousness to all of mankind? His primary purpose purpose of the cross was to restore your identity as sons and daughters. And when you walk through the immersion of his death, burial, and resurrection and come out on the other side, the first thing he does is he looks at you and says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. You are beloved. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. You are dearly and deeply loved by the Father. 
you are dearly and deeply loved by the Father. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it goes on to tell us why. Because of his great love for you. Before you fixed yourself, before you even said the prayer, before you even decided to come to church every week, God loved you. He loved you so much that he said, I'm going to rescue their identity. I'm going to rescue their identity. And when they go through the, the immersion of the cross, the immersion of baptism, and when they come out on the other side, the first thing I'm going to tell them is you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, we've made the cross. We've made the cross about getting a mansion and walking on streets of gold. And I want to tell you that's not, that's not the purpose of the cross. We've made the cross about going to heaven and getting our big old mansion that Jesus went and prepared for us, right? And walking on streets of gold. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be in heaven for a long time. I would think that the mansion and the golds would get boring after a while, right? Like at first it's going to be like, whoa, this is awesome. And then a few days later, I, I'm, I'm kind of ADD, right? I lose interest real, real quick. The streets of gold are awesome, but at the end of the day, after a while, it's going to kind of lose its luster, isn't it? The mansion's going to be great. That's awesome. But after a while, it's, it, it, I don't know. It's going to, I, I don't know if there's like uh, coals or uh, home goods or something up there that you can decorate. I, I don't know. But after a while, it's, it's going to get kind of boring, right? Heaven is not about mansions and streets of gold. In fact, in that verse, it's John chapter 14, where it says that I go to prepare a place for you. It, I, honestly, this is my own personal opinion. I don't even think he's talking about heaven at this point in time. I, I think the place he's going to prepare is he's going to the cross. That's the place of preparation. And the home, the dwelling place, the abiding, the word mansion there is the word abiding. I think he's talking about in us. He's preparing a place in us that he's going to come and to dwell and live inside of us. And it says we are going to live in him. The whole context of, of John chapter 13 and John chapter 14 is that he is coming to live in us and we are going to live in him. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> the verse goes on to say after he says he's prepared mansions for us, it goes on to say the reason why. Let me tell you. John chapter 14 he says the whole purpose, if I can find it in my notes here, I'll just paraphrase it. The whole purpose, it says, was that we could dwell with him and he with us for all of eternity. So heaven is not about mansions. It's not about streets of gold. It's not even about living forever. The purpose of heaven, the joy of heaven is I am my beloved's. And he is mine. That for all of eternity, we are going to dwell with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you remember a message I preached several years ago, perichoresis, the eternal dance with the Father, Son, and Spirit. That we have been invited into union, the share in the same union 
that the Father, Son, and Spirit share with one another. That's what heaven is about. And that's what the immersion into the cross is all about. And that is what Jesus was announcing with his thesis statement. With his first act in his public ministry. Was that I'm going to take you with me into the waters of baptism. I'm going to take you with me into the immersion of the cross. We're going to kill that old identity you had in Adam. We're going to bury it. And there's going to be a new birth. And the newness of life that I experience in resurrection, you're going to experience it. And you are going to know for all of eternity that you are my beloved. And I am well pleased with you. That I find my pleasure in you. I said this last week. There were two things God decided before the foundation of the earth was ever laid. Two things. One, everyone knows that he was going to be the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The other thing was that he chose us as his children. He chose us. He chose, I think it says in Ephesians, he chose before the foundations of the world that he was going to love us. And because of his love, he knew that there would be a cross in his future. So he decided before he ever created anything, he decided that he was going to make us and that he was going to have a plan in order, establish to bring us back into our rightful identity as his sons and daughters. And this is the glory of Easter. This is the glory of Easter. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus shows us at the very beginning of his ministry what he intended to do. He would take us through the baptism of the cross, reclaim our status as image bearers, and walk us, or reclaim us our status as image bearers, and claim us as beloved sons and daughters in whom he is well pleased. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. Hallelujah. Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm almost ready for a baptism this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you, Lord. God, that you had a plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning. God, that you never stopped loving us. God, Romans chapter 8 says, what shall separate us from the love of God? What shall separate us from the love of God? Then it ends and concludes that question with the realization that there is nothing in the heavens or on the earth that could ever separate us from your love. Father, I thank you that your first statement in ministry was a prophetic picture of what you intended to do at the end, which was to reclaim us as image bearers and to call us your beloved sons and daughters. God, what, church, what, think about this. What does that do to our confidence? 
when we come into the revelation that we are not just sinners saved by grace, but you are actually an image bearer, that you bear the image, the very image of the Father himself. So much so, when Jesus came to the earth, it says, it says that when you look at me, you have seen the Father. But then later on, Jesus turns that around and he says that when others look at you, they will be able to see me. That we have become image bearers of God himself. That the Bible says that the love that he has for his son Jesus, he has for each and every one of us. The same love. That when we realize that we are beloved and loved with the same love as Jesus is loved by the Father, what should that do to our confidence and our boldness? That we bear the image of God. That you are sons and daughters of God. I believe it changes our entire countenance when we begin to walk in the confidence and the revelation that we are dearly and deeply loved by the Father. Father, help us this morning to begin walking in that confidence. God, I pray that today, that this message of beloved, that, that we are beloved, God, I pray that this message would not just be words that we know and understand in our head, but it would go down deeper than that, Father. God, that it would stain us, Jesus, that we would be able to not just know we are image bearers, to be, but to begin to walk and project who we are to the rest of the world. God, that we would walk in the confidence of knowing that we are deeply and dearly loved by the Father. 